We the bestest cast with the left twist. Fat, fairly well dressed. Put me on the guest list. The guest list. Uh, yeah, on the guest list. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, on the guest list today, we have one of the most badass people in the industry. She's got new music dropping this week, and for some reason, she's taking the time to talk to us idiots. We have K-Flay on the podcast. K-Flay, how are we? <laughs> I'm great. Um, also, I don't appreciate you calling my friends idiots, okay? Oh, well, come on. Anybody who knows Kenny knows that that's what we're talking about. <laughs> it's a, a term of endearment. Okay. For you, maybe. Okay. It's not, not for me. I meant every single word I just said. Uh, well, before we started, uh, we're going to get into a lot, but you brought up the fact, which I was doing my research today, you're climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Why? Yes. Um, well, I, I'm, I'm, so this is happening like in a month, like I'm leaving in a month and I'm doing it because I feel like I have it initially inadvertently and now intentionally committed myself to a life of productive discomfort. Mm. (laughs) And, um, recently I've gotten more in touch with being intentional about doing that. You know, I sort of like, was like, I wonder why I chose this job. I wonder as I like sit in some like hellhole green room and like <laughs> haven't eaten for a million hours and like there's a loud noise, just, just fucking I'm drowning in it, you know? And I'm like <laughs> homesick and like whatever the fuck else is wrong. I was like, you know, I wonder why I, why I've chosen this path. And I think like for me, and I feel like you guys can relate there, there's a way to harness that kind of discomfort and embrace Mm -hmm. it and really see it as an important and beautiful part of life. And so that's a roundabout way of saying that this, this climb is part of my active pursuit of productive discomfort. I'm also kind of using it as a, a little way to raise, I'm just donating just personally. I'm not like doing like a you know, I'm not asking anyone else for money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, I also want to be intentional about like doing this climb and thinking about shit that isn't me right. and like other what what's happening. Cause the world is just seems to be, you know, increasingly so chaotic and confusing. Yeah. And, and I think having like this, this really, really concrete goal of like going up and down this thing and having some, having some things to focus on that aren't me feels Correct. I love that. I like that. How does something like this even like? Did you call Mount Kilimanjaro tourist service (laughs) or did somebody reach out to you and be like, "Hey, I got an idea for you"? How did? How? How? No, I just I had been, you know, it had been a little like kind of in the back of my mind for a few years now, I guess. And the timing is just right. Like I have a couple months off touring. I've been writing my next record, but. I'll be finishing it up in in the fall. Um, I'm single. I don't have anyone to answer to. Oh, that's a good reason. I can just kind of do what I want a little bit, which is is really nice, you know? And I'm in like pretty, I'm in like very good, I was already in good physical shape. So I was like, you know what? And so I literally, no, nobody reached out to me. I just booked it. You you (laughs) just, just said, fuck it. I just, that's exactly right. I just said, fuck it. And I thought it would be a great like organizing principle for this kind of late summer and, and fall. Well, can you do us a favor? 
Can yes. you take what? Can you take White Sox Dave with you? You don't want to. You don't want to take me. <laughs> uh, I got after the 2016 Chicago Marathon. I had a couple. I'm from Chicago, by the way. I'm right. I'm not far from Winnetka. So, oh, um, yeah, I'm from Wheaton, so not too far. Um, I was out with a couple of high school buddies that ran the race, and we were out drinking, and we got to the point where we made a $500 bet that I couldn't finish the next marathon. So 2017. <laughs> So I didn't even care about the money, but it was similar to that. Just like you pick a physically demanding goal, mm -hmm. just knock it out. It feels awesome once you do. Like, the, and I, if you would ask me or anybody else, it'd have been like, you never touched a marathon. <laughs> well, and there's, there is something, I mean, I think you're right. Like there, there are so many things we do in this life that are totally arbitrary. You just mm -hmm. have to like say, Hey, I'm going to do this. And then, and then you, Hopefully, if you, you have do good it. follow through, you just do yeah. it. And there is something very fundamentally human, very basic about just saying I'm going to do something and then yep. putting in the work and preparation to do it. Plus, I will say this is a good excuse for me because um, I'm bringing I'm bringing a camera, like a real camera. Hell yeah. Oh, that was my next question. Trip. Was like, can, are people going to be able to follow along? Are you going to make a little content for it? Like, how are we going to be? No. Able to I'm just, that's, I mean, I'll, I'm sure I'll post some photos, but basically another nice added benefit of this is there is no service. Right. Oh, mm -hmm. this that's is the best feeling in the world. This sounds oh, so, yeah. this is for so you. So that's nobody. seven days. That's seven days where I like cannot be contacted. Oh, that's <laughs> fucking magical. What's going like, to be on your playlist going up and down that thing? Ooh. <sighs> wow. You know, I'm probably not going to listen to music. I like, Yo, I like that too. All the head, yeah, just listen to the sounds of nature. Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, you know, okay, this is, I'm getting a little bit like macro on this, but I've also thought a lot about the life of, you know, being a musician and being on tour. It's so stimulating. Mm -hmm. Like, even like when you going going to sleep on a bus, it's bouncing. It's noisy. Like there's just always stimulation and like people and touching and like fucking stuff everywhere. And like, mm -hmm. ah, you know, and I think it's, it's made me really think about like one of my main things I talk about in therapy is like how to embrace a lack of stimulation. Yes. And so I'm also viewing this trip as a little bit of pushing myself in that regard to not like put you know like listen to six audiobooks and listen to music and climb the mountain and take the photos it's just like the reason I, honestly i'm bringing the camera i talked to a friend of a friend has climbed it twice actually i spoke with him a couple weeks ago and he was just like for me bringing bringing a camera like a real camera it helps me to be a better observer mm. interesting yeah it helps me focus on like Oh, that thing that I want to capture because of, you know, whatever. So I'm kind of, I'm hoping the camera is, is a tool for me to help to help myself really focus on the, those, those things I want to observe. So I'm trying to go low stimulation. It's I, funny. Low stimulation. That's, I mean, that's surfing to me, the same thing coming off of tour, mm. leaving the studio, whatever it is. It's like yep. being out in the water, no reception, no phone, no sounds, no people, just, quiet dude have any of you guys ever hunted no no so i hunted for the first time last fall and central illinois middle of nowhere 
no cars, traffic, nothing. And you're sitting in a tree stand. You don't have your phone on you. And you're, you're literally motionless. And your ears and your eyes are working so overtime that by the end of it, you're completely drained. You're exhausted. Just exhausted. Because your senses are being stimulated in a way that they never are, you know? Because we have all this artificial stimulation like Christine was talking about. Well, I mean, it's funny you even mentioned the fact that well, for, I think you're you're an unbelievable human being for actually like leaving tour and then going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro because we always talk about the feeling, like the Sunday scaries of like coming back from tour and then your brain and your body are just absolutely shot out. And then to be like, you know what would really help me recover from this is climbing a mountain. Like that's fucking <laughs> gnarly, dude. But w- one thing we were talking about as the three of us before you came on was like, that feeling of like not working and the anxiety that comes along with that in like today's world of like, I'm not on tour and I should be, what am I doing? Like to take the time to actually cut everything off and focus on you and just nature. Like that's so sick. Like, I love that. And also thank you. No, I appreciate that. And like, not to, not to go on a, on a climate change tangent, but go for it. You know, there are, there are glaciers on Kilimanjaro that aren't going to be there pretty soon. I'm going afterwards for a few days to Zanzibar and like there are reefs in that part of the Indian ocean that are on the verge of destruction. Like I'd like to try to see them before, you know, there's, there's the other component of like all of us as, as human beings on earth are, are just observers of this magnificent planet and it is, it's changing so rapidly. And so I feel like just as a, as a receptacle for, this information like you know if i have kids like i want to be able to tell them hey back in the day there used to be a glacier here you know or like whatever and and so i sort of feel like in a in a historian sense you know and just just as a as a meek observer of this of this large responsibility to take yeah seriously i mean it's it's just crazy though like there's just there's elements of our natural world that are that are like you know, going away and, and I'd like the opportunity to be able to, to see them if I can. Can I ask you a question that's going to make me seem like an idiot who survived 12 years of the Catholic school system in Philadelphia and doesn't know anything? <laughs> yes. Where's Mount Kilimanjaro? <laughs> it's in, wait, hold on, hold on. I think I, it's in Kenya? Just next door to Kenya. It's in Tanzania. Tanzania. Damn. I knew that I was, was not my that was not my guess because in my head I was like, is that the one that's in Washington? <laughs> Dude, it's Mount Olympus, I think. Oh my god! I'm this so this is you're not stupid. Oh no, um, you're wrong. <laughs> a, oh, we're all pretty dumb. We're all pretty dumb. Is, <laughs> this is so. This is in East Africa, and Dude. so it's on the Indian Ocean side, and it's just uh, Tanzanian neighbors, cool. Kenya. So they yeah. share a border and. So yeah, I'll, I'll be climbing this, and then Zanzibar is an island. It's part of Tanzania. It's an island just just off the coast, and that is the plan. So I'm basically just gone for two weeks. It's not crazy. I've gone for two weeks, and I'm 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 really I'm very excited. And you know what? The the friend of a friend who I talked to the other the other week, he was saying the biggest challenge, you know, in many ways, and and I know this is just the altitude and um. And so it's really about walking slowly and breathing deeply. You're like, already oh. the coolest person that we've had on this podcast. Wait, hold on. <laughs> Is there training for something like the altitude stuff. Are you doing like 
O2 depth stuff or like what what's your vibe? I'm I'm doing I'm trying to do it's, it'll ramp up this month because I'm actually back. So I'm just like I'm fully in Los Angeles for this whole month of, of July. And also my best friend, I was the maid of honor in her wedding. She just got married uh, two days ago. So that my duties there. We got that knocked off the list. Um, Not that it was a list. I was very, it was a beautiful wedding and I was honored to. (laughs) The maid of honor always has a list, whether or not it's a gorgeous wedding, but it's, it's such a responsibility. Being the best man is easy. It's just like show up. Being the maid of honor, it's like a fucking job, dude. It was, you know what? It was, it was a labor of love. And my, I did it with my other best friend from college. We're like best friends from college. And it was, it was a really, really fun and a great wedding. Um, But so for training, I'm going to, the main thing is just like going up and going down as much as possible. So luckily living in Los Angeles, there's a lot of, I mean, there is elevation here. So there, there are some, some hikes that I'm going to be doing that are, you know, that get up pretty high. There's a bunch of like, peaks and stuff you can do around here so I'm doing that this month and then kind of my like daily or more frequent hikes that I do are just in the Angeles National Forest and you can get up pretty high there you can get up to like 6,000 feet or so and you can go up and down and so it's just training the body to to change yeah I gotta say too being a, a singer a front person in a touring act that is endurance in itself. No. I mean, I've toured with you. I've played shows. I know about endurance, but there's like, when I even started doing backing vocals, I couldn't breathe. I didn't know how to breathe. I didn't know how to do it, let alone. And Aaron all the time, I'd be like, dude, I don't know how you do that for an hour and a half. Like that's insane. So that endurance has got to be some sort of benefit. It, it doesn't help that you smoke weed. Like most people smoke cigarettes. Right. True. But <laughs> but still, this point stands. The front man, that, that's that's incredible. It's got to be. Something. Well, we didn't we didn't cover this yet because whenever Kenny, a friend of Kenny, comes on, we we, we talk about it. And we had um, Max from Arkells on a couple weeks ago. Oh, amazing! Yeah, right before the rally, we had Max on, and your name got brought up, and right away we were like, "Fuck yeah, dude!" And Kenny was like, "I love her." So, how did you guys originally meet? Oh, Max and I. No, Kenny. This oh. this, this schlub. Oh, oh, Kenny and I. Kenny and I met on tour. Yeah. I was opening up for I was opening up for you guys, I wanna say in 2015. I yeah, uh, I don't maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it being a good tour, a big one. We did some Canada dates and some We other- did, we did. It was um it was my first time in Edmonton was with yeah. you guys. Yeah. Uh and it was, you know what was really interesting for me about that tour? I think it was one of the first times that I'd been opening up for a band that was a lot heavier live than on the record where I could feel that there was this like, not in in a great way, by the way, but where there was this new elements, like you like the music, right? And then you go to the show and it's fucking, yeah, it's heavy. You know, there's like some of those like double kick moments. There's China happening. Like I was like, okay. And it really made, actually, I've never gotten a chance to tell you this, but like it made a huge impression on me I, I don't even think I fully realized this till like kind of now actually, but because that was something I think I've been negotiating and thinking about with, with my live yeah. act and how I, how I translate what I'm, what I'm doing on record. And it was just, it was very uh, inspirational and exciting to see that and to see, to see crowds like understanding that. 
right. and being and being flexible. Yeah, I've seen all the videos of you going ham on stage, and it makes me so happy to see. Cause I, we've always, you know, in AWOL, we were always believers of like the record's one thing, the show is another thing. Usually, the heaviest band wins generally speaking just something about the energy and stuff so yeah. like when i see those videos of you going nuts on stage i'm like yes give it to them <laughs> yeah no it was so that's to answer the question that is how we met i was opening up um for like i think summer fall i don't know something yeah, like that it was a long tour it was either it, two tours or one long one or something like I that. i think it was a one long one yeah yeah and it all blurs together that we as headliners go out and watch the openers every night but we watched her every night it was incredible fucking incredible to see i mean your journey fascinates me because i i've known a lot of it and and just to be like a casual observer because i am a fan like to see like for one the industry side of things the way you've done things because you've done the label side you've done independent you've 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 kind of lived this double life in that capacity but also like just like from stanford to doing mixtapes to getting picked up to getting on your own like when you look at, because we'll get into your journey, but like when you look at the modern landscape of music, right? And there's so many artists trying to make it, and there's so many artists doing, like trying to find creative ways. Like, what's your best course of action if you're talking to a young musician to say, like, this is what I would do if I was coming up in 2022? Would you say try and get signed? Do you do it yourself? Like, figure it out. Like, where would you go? That that's a great question. I think certainly a part of the advice that I would give. And now that we're we're back in this space where live events can occur, you know, for me, sorry. So I think uh, the advice, a big piece of the advice, would be to perform live as often as possible. And for me, and we kind of touched on this just talking about how Kenny and I met. But for me, the be actually having to be on stage. Be the asshole up there doing it. It's very informative. Like mm -hmm. beyond anything else, it is informative of like what, what, you, how you like to embody music, what people respond to, mm -hmm. what is, what's compelling, what's compelling for everybody. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that, you know, certain, certain kinds of music are, you know, I guess sort of designed for, for just headphones or just, I don't know. But I think like most music is, is made to also be performed and enacted. And for a lot of young artists, they, they don't always have that sense until they get up there and do it. And that was the case for me. Like even just talking about like going wild up there, it took me time to realize that the kind of music that I like to make and how I like to perform and what I want to be about and what I want to stand for is, is like catharsis music. It's like, mm -hmm. I'm a nice person. I'm pretty polite. Like I felt awful that I was late to this. For instance, <laughs> I was like literally standing here just being like, I have no course of action. I'm just standing here. Like I'm, I'm just, Oh my God. You know, like this is so rude. This is horrible. Um, that's me. But also like, I'm sitting here looking at everything that's happening in the world and like, I'm, I'm upset and like people have hurt me personally and I'm upset, you know, and, yeah. and I want to, I want to be able to convey that, but in a, in a safe, productive way. And like, that's really kind of what I'm about. And it's taken me a long time to figure that out that, you know, and actually 
I don't well, I can workshop with these this with you guys, but I was saying the other day it's like a possible album title, but I was like, it's like bad guy music for nice people. <laughs> like that's <laughs> Yeah, I like that. I like that too. It's funny, everything you're saying, like it rings so true because I know so many I work with I still work with a lot of up and coming bands, those like on the brink bands, and they want to they want to be who they are and know who they are and have it all figured out like that. And I keep telling them like it takes takes time and like you said it takes hundreds of shows oh yeah to find out what works what doesn't work what feels right what feels honest you know all that stuff so yeah you nailed it on the head yo from that perspective uh, like coming back and playing shows right because we all had a couple yeah. years off have you found there's a difference now in the way that you communicate or or just even the way that you feel about playing live because i know i've had a lot of anxiety about going back and playing shows it's like a weird anxiety about it but like in this recent string of shows, have you felt differently than you did prior to the pandemic about performing or even just like feelings before you get on stage? Yes. Um, and it's also connected to me completely quitting drinking. Ooh. So this is, I mean, if we want to go down, if we want to talk yeah. about all this, but all the roads. so, so I many years ago stopped drinking before shows. However, I was still drinking alcohol and basically as soon as like the, the news kind of came in, like there may be this like pandemic. I was just like, you know what, Christine, this would be a great fucking time because yeah. God knows what's about to happen. This would be a great time to just quit drinking. Like this is probably like the moment for that to happen. And so I, I did do that. And so coming back and touring, in, in a total state of sobriety, right? Like, and in this, again, kind of the embracing of this discomfort, the productive yeah. discomfort, I think my, my feeling about the live show and my attitude and energy around it was incredibly rigorous in a great mm -hmm. way. Like I feel, I mean, I know for sure that this, this tour is the best show I've ever put on. And I, 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 I kind of did it with these like monologue things and sort of like a, I went, I saw an acting coach and did like, it was like a whole ass thing. Yeah. And oh, yeah. I really pushed myself. And so I think for me, what the, both the pandemic, maybe my time of life, you know, quitting drinking, all this stuff. I just, the level of seriousness and rigor with which I approached the show was very high and the cool effect of that was that every night when I got off stage, I was like, I felt really connected to the experience. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so I think it, I, the way I've been feeling about the, the live performance is I've, I've just been so much more present for it and I've put more pressure on myself. So in a way it's harder because I, there is that rigor, but the flip side of it is at the end, I'm like, okay, if we're, if we're thinking about this as, as an exchange of energy, like I gave, I really was vulnerable and I gave that energy and that was risky to do like emotionally risky, not physically risky. Um, and, and now I'm, now I can sit back and like reap the dividends of that, of that vulnerability and risk and so i guess it's been great <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> fucking gnarly i love that 
This is what it's happens when you interview an educated person. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say because yeah, it's all thought thought out ideas. We've we interview so many dumb people, and this is <laughs> this is better. I like this. Why didn't you go to Northwestern? Oh, here we go. Oh, um. Right, because I grew up. I was born right, in yeah, two minutes yeah, yeah. away. Yeah, just want uh, to get away from home. You know, I think I had like a preternatural sense that I needed to leave. Yeah, where I grew up, and and strangely enough, my entire family and all of my friends left. So my parents left, my brother and sister left, like permanently. Nobody. Mm-hmm. I have an aunt and uncle and a cousin who who still live out there, but like there was this sort of exodus and I don't know. I don't, I don't know why for sure, but like I needed to. Yeah, for sure. I get it. I've been, I needed to go. I'm ready to eventually (laughs) one day try something different. So I feel you big time there. Dave wants to live at the peak of Mount Kilimanjaro, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I was in Western Nebraska a couple months back just in the boonies. We were in a town of 401 people. That's what the sign said. And everybody was so polite. Cell phone didn't work. It was, it was just like nice, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, it's interesting this, this thinking about hometowns and, and where you've grown up and where you choose to reside and how you move in this life. Like it's, it's really interesting, you know, two really interesting questions to ask people that I've that I've learned is number one, what are your feelings about your name? Mm. Hmm. So that's an interesting question. If you ever want to oh, wow. learn something about someone, it's a very interesting question. Because I wrote, I have a song on my last record called My Name Isn't Catherine because people constantly call me Catherine and it's actually one of the most frustrating. <laughs> is that frustrating? People, people call, I think it's because when people see K-Flay, they think the K, their mind automatically goes to Catherine Catherine. or something. And like, you would think if your name's Christine with a K, which is is my name, people would call you like Christina, Mm -hmm. Christy, Kristen, like those types of things, which is to me makes more sense. But no, like I'm in like, I remember I was in Mexico, I was in Monterey, Mexico. And the promoter of the show like came up like very excited. She's like, oh, like, Katarina. I was like, what is happening? <laughs> like, what? this is crazy. So that song kind of has led me to the song that like lyrically it ends up at this place of like, it's crazy that then one day I'll probably have a kid give them a name and they'll be like, this name is a fucking curse. Like, right. And, and, and I think it's interesting to know how people feel about their name. That's we can do this as a group. As I'm naming my kids now. Oh, do you I have mean, names picked out? Yeah, that, that's a good. Do you have names picked out? Do you want to just break the news? Oh yeah, I you don't have close to. enough that it doesn't matter. Nobody's gonna take it now. Let's go. What is it? We have the the androgynous kind of one for our girl Stevie for our girl. I love we that. One girl love one. that. Her my my wife's parents passed. Her dad's name was Steve. Daughter's gonna be Stevie, and then. My favorite band in the world is the Descendants, and somehow I convinced my wife to let me name my son Milo. Oh, <laughs> hell yeah. That's Let's go. really sweet. I love those names. Milo, Milo and Stevie Carkey. Yeah. But you know, undoubtedly, your children will be will have feelings about this. Yeah. Yes. Both, both good and bad. Yeah, exactly. Um, the second question that's interesting to ask people. How they feel about their hometown. Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a 
I mean, and I feel like everybody has qualms about their home. I'm from Orlando, Florida. You know what I mean? I've got my own shit to deal with there, but yeah. Yeah. I'm from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I refuse to leave because I have this weird, deep love and almost like a, I know it's a fucked up place, but I have almost like a protective nature about it to where it's like I can't yeah. I, I don't want to leave because just because shit's fucked up, you can't bounce. Like, that's how I feel about it. I moved. I, I moved. You couldn't move any further than I moved from. East you literally went as far as humanly possible. But I but it is music, so I bounced. It is funny, though, because you brought up the name thing, and I actually just gave my mom shit about this the other day. My name is Colin, which is a very Irish name um, from an Irish Catholic neighborhood in Philadelphia. My mom's name is Anina Maria Lucia. Very Italian. And I always mm-hmm. say, why the fuck did you name me Colin? I love my name, but I, I'm always confused. And she just gives me, <laughs> I don't know, I liked it. But all my life, people have been like, that's a great Irish name. And I just have to go like, yeah, I know, I know. But I grew up in a house with plastic couches and Michael the Archangel statues in the <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird thing. I don't know, Dave. Wasn't your name supposed to be William Williams? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> my dad's family is a bunch of lunatics, and ninety-five percent of it's good lunatics. There's the five percent that's bad. Part of the five percent was my dad's William Herman Williams Jr. I was supposed to be William Herman Williams the third, and my mom's like, "Yeah, fuck yourself. That's not happening." <laughs> Thank God. Um, so they landed on David. Because David whooped Goliath's ass in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's why you were named David? Yeah. yeah. I like I like that. I'm the second. I'm Kenny the second. And my parents don't understand why I'm not going to name my son the third. <laughs> and I'm like, guys, they already have our last name. I was like, what more do you want? I was like, they're good to go. You, Milo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Milo. There you go. Like, they're like, why not Kenny Carkeet the third? I'm like, because I don't Milo, want see, It all depends. It's got to flow well with the first last name. Right. Like Milo Karkeet, that sounds cool. I already, yeah, I already told you my, my, I've said this on the podcast. My first son's name will be Chudney and his name will be Chudney Budney. And that will be, (laughs) you're going to get your kid's ass kicked. That kid's going to, that kid's going to fuck, dude. That kid's going to be like the boy named Sue, basically. (laughs) Yeah. Just make him tough, dude. But all right. Yeah. So no, those are two good questions. Here's my question. How do you feel about Chicago? Oh, um, so my hometown. So I grew up in Wilmette, Illinois, which uh, Dave knows mm-hmm. or is near currently. Uh, and thirty minutes away, yeah. I, I mean, I, I feel like uh, the things that I could, for me, like get out of that experience. I think I got out of it, and mm-hmm. one of them being that it was a really, really good place to be a very serious student and athlete, which was kind of my childhood. So mm-hmm. it, it facilitated those things in, in a great way. Like I was able to be really invested in school and really invested in sports. And that was awesome. And I, and I learned, I think the things that I really take away from specifically my childhood are like my work ethic. And I hope just a general respect for other people and a consideration and like a very grounded humility. Because I think there's something about growing up in the middle of the country or a place that's not as relevant culturally, right. As like coastal oh, towns yeah. that, that invokes, um, yeah, just a, a real sense of like, you are not at the forefront of this. Like mm-hmm. you're not the singer of the band. So 
So I'm going to become the singer of a band. So I yeah. will, I'm going to so, move to California and become the singer of the band. Um, but you know what I mean? And I, I think that's a great place to start from is like having a, having a very uh, a fastidiousness in, in life and a work ethic. And also, you know, like I think growing up where there's winter is good. I think yes. it makes you kind of tough. You're crazy. Yes. I You're agree crazy. with that. No, that I say that. The number one reason I want to get out of this place is the winter. I don't care about, well, I care about it, but <laughs> the crime and like everything that's going on in the world. I just want to get rid of the cold. It's no. awful. Dude, I say this to Kenny all. I said this to Kenny recently, and I said this at the bar the other day. I said, growing up where there is winter forces adversity on you through God's hand. He's like, there you know what? Nothing Fuck you. Than waking up at six in the morning to let the dog take a dump. Yep. And having to put on twelve pounds of clothes, winter hats, and there's no, there's awful. nothing, there's nothing like just accepting the adversity and being like, I choose this. I choose to get shit on by weather like three or four months out of the year. Obligated to be here. I don't place. choose this. Kenny's <laughs> never even seen snow, dude. Wait, what? Kenny's never seen snow. Wait, where does that come from? Are you fucking? Because you lived yeah, in, you like, lived in Florida life. and California. Yeah, well, I've yeah, never had to like doesn't matter. No, nope. <laughs> you know what I mean. I chose not to. You're right. just you're just weak. I, That's why. I, Colin, I, I agree that there is a a robustness, a toughness, a grit that yes. comes. You know, I have a vivid memory. One of my most vivid winter memories growing up was um, okay. So Dave, you'll know this. The I think All-Sater- I know what you're gonna say. Well, no, never mind then. Okay, this is the Allstate Arena. Yep. So I went to go see the Harlem Globetrotters with my family. Okay. And (laughs) which already just, yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Well, in and of itself, it's just kind of funny to me, but we were a very, very basketball family. And so we were going to see the Harlem Globetrotters, and, you know, we have like nosebleed seats, and we're like, have the worst parking possible. Like <laughs> we are just like in the furthest part of the parking lot. So we're like park, whatever. By the time we get out of this game or show or whatever you call it, it, the, it is so bitterly cold and so like wind blowing in the direction. I just remember like walking through the parking lot with this sense that like the walk would never end. Mm-hmm. And my, there was no way I could have a coat that would be warm enough to to weather any of this and just being like i'm living in hell yeah, <laughs> i'm living in hell you wait you walk outside and your boogers just freeze <laughs> i don't you know can't what breathe your lungs hurt oh but that made me tough i feel like it made me kind of tough so i'm are you a bears fan you know i mean technically yeah. no no i don't i don't care that much my family was was a Michigan a college football family. Okay, let's go. So, so I'm like go blue. Everybody in my family went to Michigan, but me in some way, shape, or form. Um, I mean, my mom didn't, but uh, so I'm very college. The bear. But you've like, heard. You, I mean, we have the running joke with bear weather. Like anytime it's like below twenty degrees up. Bears automatically win. Bear weather. Right. Right. No one right, else right. can handle the tough or be tough enough to handle the cold. I mean. Playing, I actually, well, football is, football is such a punishment. It's insane to me. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> I'm just like, this sport seems f- fucking horrific. It's, like, it's primal. Like playing football in Michigan in January or, or in Miami uh, in August. Yeah. <laughs> One of the two. It's we, just I, like... I quit football my sophomore year and uh, we ended up 
playing New Trier actually in the state playoffs. And they had my my high school won state. And I'm like, ah, I probably shouldn't have quit. But looking back, I'm like, nah, too much no. lifting weights and running getting, and getting your head activity. bashed in. And yeah, like, that's kind of a thing. It's but, literally no, a huge thing. It's scary as hell. I'm like, I'm trying to protect my brain, you know? Swimmer what? in high school. It was great. Ooh. <laughs> swimming that's good. Well, so I do have to ask you this. So you go to mm-hmm. California, you go to Stanford. Mm-hmm. At what point do you decide, like, okay, I'm uh, working my ass off at an amazing school, but I'm going to do the craziest shit humanly possible? Yeah, me- this is the easiest question ever. Like, right? why? Like, wh- why? Well, there's two answers. There's a small, there's the small answer, which is that I got in an argument with this guy about music and was sort of like, the music on the radio sucks. I could write it. And he was just like, that's not true. Literally, you couldn't do that. And I was like, watch this. And I was like, I was like, well, okay, watch me. And so that's literally the reason that I make music is because of Sam Stefanke in this conversation. Out of spite. Oh, flame him. Let's go. Put the name on record. Let's go. I put his name on record. I put his name on record. Fuck yeah. He, so I think, write a little bit of that like teenage defiance or like young young person just like I'll show you so that that's that's the small reason I think the larger reason which harkens back to the beginning of our conversation and this the the strange magnetism towards productive discomfort is that I was an incredibly rigid teenager Mm. in many ways um my biological dad was an addict who died because of that and so I think I had like what what appears to be a pretty typical response to or one of the typical responses to that which is like to become I couldn't control that so I will control this right Mm. and you know I didn't drink I didn't smoke I didn't have dairy I didn't do that I did this I you know I'm getting, if it's an A minus, well, there wasn't an A minus, right? Like that's the failure. So that's not possible. And so this, it was just this, this rigidity. And I think somewhere inside of me, like lived a flexibility that I didn't know how to tap into. Um, and, and, a, and, a, and a sense of freedom and a sense of newness and music because it was something I didn't know anybody who played music or I, I, you know, it just was not a life path I had ever considered in any capacity. It was like, there were no rules. It was no man's land. And so there wasn't a way I was supposed to do it. And for me, I think looking back, I had that like wisdom of like a, a primal wisdom of, of like, you can't live in this, this this way that you can think you can control everything because you can't mm. and so i think in a, in a broader sense music was a conduit for me to explore all the all the parts of myself and this world that i that in many ways i feared mm. um and was was scared to engage with because they were more chaotic and they 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 were um unpredictable and uncertain but of course like you know, so much of the beauty in life comes from those, those things. That's our industry. Yeah. Yeah. It really is our industry. And I, so 
with that in mind, like that mindset of like the like the rigidity versus go with the flow kind of a notion and just experiencing things. You sign to RCA and then you bounce from RCA and you go and do it independently. Like, did you find yourself start to grow when you got out from underneath that and, and you kind of start to do it in your own way, have a little more control? Like, did that battle kind of wage past that point? Totally. Um, I think also that period in my life and career when I was like, you know, I've gotten signed to a label way too early. I mean, yeah, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. But then I'm like off on my own. It's like, it's like we're talking about this toughness. It's like no one gives a shit. Yep. No one cares about you. So like, are you going to do it? You know, like it, no one's, no one's forcing you. <laughs> so, so do you, do you care enough? Do you, do you have the drive? Do you have the commitment? It was, it was a very, um, there was a lot of pressure. It was an inflection point. And so I think being independent and putting out the record, it forced me to work in a certain type of way. It forced me to focus on what am I trying to do and, and reconnect with what I'm trying to express. And it, it really helped me honestly for when I did sign again with Interscope and put out a few records with them. I was like, I actually really appreciated how a label can help because I, you know, yeah, having, lot. having been with one and been like, Oh, this is cool. They gave, they gave me some money and now I don't have to, you know, teach the SATs anymore. Um, and then, you know, you have to do it like in the fires under your ass. Then when someone comes and, and helps, you're like, what the, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to be part of a team. Yeah. It's uh, super helpful. And I think once you're, go from a label to independent, the realization I assume must be like, holy shit, there really is a lot of work that goes into this thing, this project. I'm curious, because Danny boy is my boy, how did the Dan Reynolds connection happen for that? Because you were the first artist that he signed uh, mm -hmm. and he's such a good human being and always looking out for, for new talent and stuff like that. Like, what, how did that happen? That happened because I was starting to work on some songs with my now very good friend, but then new friend, JT Daly, who's a producer. And he used to be in a band called Paper Route. And he's, I knew him actually because he was married to a friend of mine. That was our initial connection. And he and I were working on some songs and his manager also is Dan's brother. And ah. so, so we were working on these songs and then I think JT had sent that, you know, whatever, somehow that happened. And Dan reached out to me. He emailed me and was just like, and I went, by the way, had, was in that uh, headspace of like, I'm independent now. Right. I don't need a label. I'm doing this. This is super fun. My manager and I, Seth, like we were just loving that experience. And he and I, you know, are great teammates and love working together in that way. So it was very gratifying. And Dan was like, you know, I'm doing this thing. Um, could we like Skype or something? Cause he was, he was like in Europe on tour and I was like, this is okay. <laughs> you know, sure. And then of course we, we did that. And in our first conversation, he was like talking to Asia, his wife or like something, or she called while we were on the phone and I saw the way that he interacted with Asia. And I was like, Oh, I like this person. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. there was something that happened in our first conversation just outside of music where I was, I was very much, I, I very much felt connected to, to how he kind of comported himself as a human. Um, and 
I just really felt like Dan understood what I was trying to do and and wanted wanted to help and and he really he really did and his you know just having someone because he was technically like my a and r yeah so yeah you know what i mean like just having your someone you like really trust in that way to send songs to and get as a solo artist too it's hard you know sometimes you just feel kind of like alone out there and yeah yeah. and so that was that's how we met he just he just cold emailed me that's wow he's always been just in my experience, such a good human being who's just always been present and will take time to talk to anybody and ask you about your day. He's just that that kind of human, and I love those guys. You and then you went out on tour with them too, didn't you? Yep. And then we opened hell of a run. We opened for Imagine Dragons in the U.S. and in Europe, and that was also you know t- talking about live performance. That was very informative for me because. It was my first time really experiencing a crowd where the biggest fans are the furthest away. Yeah. Right? Ooh. Like normally it's like the biggest fans are barricade. Yeah. They have been, you know, they camped out or whatever. You know, I'm used to playing like large clubs and theaters. This is this is arenas. So it's like the big fans are up in the nosebleeds. Yeah. You can't see them. You can't even hear them. Yeah. The people up front are like, some rich people who paid yeah, a thousand bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like they, they don't they don't give a shit and they certainly don't care about the opener, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so that was that for me the big lesson of that, besides you know, getting to watch Imagine Dragons do their thing every night and learning a lot about like how to put on a, a big type of show with, with production, you know, in a certain way was not having the crutch of the energy at the front. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So how do I create the energy inside? It's interesting. Yeah. We did that same thing. I, uh, opening tours on an arena level is tough. It's like playing TV. It's just not the same thing. It's, it's no, there's right. no energy. There's no energy. Yeah. Right. Like, and you, ha- you have to trust. I think the other part of it too, and maybe you guys relate to this is like, cause I would do these shows and then afterwards people were like, that was so sick, you know, blah, blah. I'm like, really? What? So you kind of have to trust that someone is like, it's like a radio signal. You're like you're sending it out into space, hoping the aliens yeah. hear you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like having that faith and, and trust in yourself that if you do, if you commit to a certain type of performance and energy, it will reach people. And, but though you may not in the moment understand that that, that communication is happening. Wow. Fucking well, that's exactly right. That's crazy. I mean, dude, and it's so funny because we kind of started the conversation at where you're at now, but you obviously have new music coming out this week. Um, you're playing shows again. Like, where, where are you in your head right now with, with your, not your career necessarily, but like what you're creating? Like, where, like, I don't know how to put this. Like, you've done so much. You've gone through so many different phases. Like, where are you right now in your own head? Uh- yeah, no, it's a great question. I mean, I'm <laughs> I'm engaged in a similar <laughs> dialogue with myself. I I'm feeling about music the way I felt right before I put out my second record, which is the record I put out with Dan. Right. Um, which is to say, I feel very good. I feel very connected to. I, again, this the the kind of uh, music I want to 
create and enact. And I think, you know, we talked about rigor and it's been, it's been a concept I've been thinking about a lot because I've been trying to apply a certain type of rigor to my, my work life. And by that, I don't mean like every day I get up and write a song and I've got to, you know, but I, but I mean, this is going to be my fifth record. Mm. Okay. So, which is <laughs> already, I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> okay. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm working on my fifth record. So wh- where can I take it? How can I, how can I be rigorous and not settle? Because at this point, like, as you guys know, it's like, I know how to write a song that's okay or whatever, you know, like I can do that. Um, how do I, how do I like, how do I push myself? Um, and that's, so that's where I'm at. I'm at the mm-hmm. point of, I don't want to settle. Uh, and I want to be as expressive as I can and try to explore some, some places both sonically and lyrically that I have explored. But of course, like there's only really five things to sing about. So mm-hmm. I'll keep, you know, maybe even fewer <laughs> three, I don't know. Um, but that's so I'm feeling I'm feeling really good. I've been I've been very uh, prolific and uh, feeling creatively very inspired and, you know, an added benefit again of this of totally abstaining from from substances because I never really was into anything else is just this like, you know, I'm very present. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whether that's good or bad. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, so there's a lot to, there's a lot to tap into, I guess, is my point there. Um, particularly like moments of, of pain or disappointment and loss, like those, those things, they also feel very present. So, and not that that's what I'm, I'm writing about necessarily. I just mean like being in touch with all that is, yeah, feels, feeling feels, feels. yeah. yeah I'm, I'm in my feels, all the feels. I got it. For you yeah. that there might not even be an answer to but um because I, I i think about this often again as i work with a lot of up-and-coming bands i try to blend this line or figure out this line with it being your fifth record are you right do you write for are you creating for yourself or are you creating for others or a blend that's what i was just about to ask you know i mean we're like sometimes an artist will make a record for them which didn't connect or and then other times they're like they always try to include what other people are going to want so that it does connect and then there's this whole gray spectrum in between I'm just curious on your fifth record if you find yourself being like i want to write this for me whether other people like it or not or i want to make sure i include what my fans like or if you're just kind of writing and what comes about comes about I think I'm, I think I'm writing and then where the rigor is coming in is what do people connect with? Right. Like, because there are things that I do that are, you know, good or okay that don't, it doesn't translate. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And, and, and not even being judgmental about, I think that, I think where people get like really tripped up is when they're judgmental towards themselves about that. Like there's something wrong with, them or that and you know this like kind of bad guy music like for nice people idea i think generally when i am both like emotional and tough like that is the space where people where it resonates um and so so i'm trying to be really free in the initial 
Genesis. And then I'm trying to actually be pretty, pretty uh, cognizant of the audience as I, as I then continue, as I take it from like a verse and a chorus to the next step. And, you know, it's been interesting. Like I even had a, of this demo that I'm working on right now of the song, I think is actually very, very good. Where in the second verse, I said something like, I'm a Midwest girl. And on the revision, I was just like, you know what? Uh, maybe I'll keep that, but maybe I'll maybe I'll rewrite the second verse and do this other thing. And I did. And it's better. You know, and like, because also like, not everyone is a Midwest girl. And, and sometimes people want to sing that. You don't need to make your lyrics like, I am a human. I look like it. <laughs> and, you know, like, <laughs> like, you guys understand what I'm saying that like, you, on some level, like, if everyone's got their fists in the air, it needs to be something like that everyone feels connected to. Yeah. Um, and so that that is something I'm like, trying to be cognizant of. Dude, this is the last thing I'll I'll say too, because I know we got to wrap it up. Um, not that you need any more of the of the compliments, but the, your friendship with Bishop Briggs has been something beautiful to watch. Just because I feel love like Bishop you, Briggs, I've got to know both of you guys separately because I got to to play some shows with Bishop back in the day, and her music is fucking incredible, and so is yours. And I just feel like it's so important what you two kind of have done for solo female artists in an alternative world who have shit to say, lots of stuff to say and things to connect with. And it's just so cool to see you guys dominating and shredding and like inspiring and motivating. And I, as a sideline watcher, I'm, I'm loving all of it. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, you know, a Bishop AKA Sarah is, um, it's, it's one of those cool relationships where we met, we met through work. Mm. And because we were just in these spaces together um, and playing like alternative radio festivals and, you know, whatever, yeah. promoting things at the same time. That's, and then, where, that's where I met Bishop Briggs was at an alternative <laughs> radio festival we opened it for. She's fucking awesome, dude. And I, you know, I had worked on about a little bit of half, like half of her last record writing with her. And that, again, you know, was sort of a work context, but we're starting to develop this like really close friendship. And that's just, that's just grown. And I, and I think it's, it's so wonderful to find and hard to find people who like, like, it's hard in any line of work to have someone start as a work friend Mm -hmm. and, and become an Mm -hmm. actual, like a real friend, not just like, Oh, we, you know, go to happy hour or something, but like, we actually rarely talk about work. I mean, we still work together, you know, we right. just, Sarah just had a couple songs come out, one of which I had, had written with her. And like, I love working with Sarah. She's so talented, but like, we just do that because we're it, it, as a side thing, but it's like, so I don't know. It's just kind of cool to have like a work. Yeah. A work friend become yeah. a real ass a friend. friend. A lot of musicians don't get work friends. Nope. It's so fun. I actually, I, I saw you guys not too long ago. I didn't want to bug you guys at a Winneka bowling league show. Maddie, oh, Maddie yeah! Kramer, one of my best friends in the whole world. I saw you guys there. I was like, oh, I'm going to go say hi. No, I'm not going to go say hi. Then I watched the show and left. But I just want to also connect that, like, one of the, my favorite bands is Marm's Oh, band. you know I'm, I'm hiking with Matt in, like, four hours. What? <laughs> 
Marms is like, he's going to be like the godfather of my children. He's so close. Tell him I said hi. I talk to him all the time, but tell him. Of course I'll tell him. Yeah. Can he, no, no, can no. he face, can he FaceTime Matthew Coma from his grandmother's funeral? That's true. And if you go back, <laughs> he would do. That guy oh. has no boundaries. I love him. Uh, he's the man, dude. Anyway, yeah, he's a wild card. He's a wild boy. Yeah. He is. And I, I, <laughs> that's so funny. Okay. Well, I'll definitely tell him that I'm literally like, it's funny. Cause I already, worked out as, as you know, but I'm, I'm trying to hike and walk as much as possible as you can imagine. Um, but yeah, it's, and actually Matt's another good example of that. Matt and I are newer friends, but like we met a year ago, but we share some type of like anxious DNA. There's a, there's like a neurotic, um, thing we share and we kind of just met and like the day we met I I remember texting him because I'm I'm pretty I'm a very open communicator like I really tell people like how I'm feeling and if I want to be close to them I just say like hey I want to be close (laughs) to you and then if if it's not reciprocated then it's fine um but I just think it's better to to do that and so after I met Matt I was like I texted him being like hey I don't know if this is weird but I like really like feel connected to you and would really like to be your friend. <laughs> That's awesome. And he was like, dude, I was just talking to my wife. He's like, I'm sitting next to my wife. And I'm like, t- was telling her I met this person today and I really want to be your friend. And I was like, oh. Matt, I feel like we're five years old. Dude, there, <laughs> and- is, there is no nicer human or maybe no t- more talented human than Matthew. Cole. Oh, he's a beast, dude. He's- a fucking genius and I love him to death and he's my brother and that's awesome. There also is something so gnarly about having that conversation and he's talking to his wife in a Tillery Duff. Like there's something yeah. so cool <laughs> about that. Like there's something so sick about that. Like that they're such good people and it's those two. Like you yeah. know what I mean? Like it's dope. Totally. No, it's okay. Well, I'll tell Matt. <laughs> you say hi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll text him later anyway, but definitely tell him he was on this pod. He was one of the, our first guests because yeah. he's such a good human. He stopped what he was doing to be on our podcast before we had any guests, you know? And he literally came on and said, I don't even know what this is. I don't I'm there. I'm like, my dude. Well, Christine, because I wanted to fuck with you and say, well, Catherine, we're, we're going to wrap this up, but I didn't. <laughs> um, everybody, please, when she gets back from hiking Mount Kilimanjaro, please go see her live. Listen to the new tune that drops this week. What's the name of the song? And I know it has a feature on it as well, correct? Yeah, so this is me actually featuring on another artist track. So the, the song's called Ragdoll. The artist is Pouty Face. Kenny, have you, do you know her at all? Or Really familiar, but not okay. into it. She's, she's, we met um, working on a, on a song for her and then just kind of had this, this larger connection. But it's, she's so, so talented. Um, she just finished opening up her first tour. She was opening for, for Youngblood and like did her first, you know, wow. coming out of COVID, just did her first tour. So she's, she's like at that place, which is, which is really exciting. I, I just believe in her so, so much. And this, this song came about in a really cool way. It's sort of, it's about um, really just feeling like a rag doll and the, and the world is, is throwing you <laughs> like tossing you everywhere, what, right? tossing you everywhere and what and what do you do with that feeling and, and what is it like and how can you harness that um for for your own growth too so it's 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 really cool the vi- yeah the video's rad we i mean that comes out too so i'm i'm super excited hell yeah 
Well, everybody, please go check out everything K-Play has going on. And I'm a pretty open communicator as well. And I just want to say, I think we all would like to be your friend. So, oh, uh, well, God, that was such this, a corny way to end this, dude. It wow. Wasn't corny. It's honestly nothing is corny. Corny is just real. And I love corny shit. Thank you guys so much for having me, and I'm so sorry that I was late. Oh, no, no, you're, you're good. You're good. One, one last thing I will ask is when you get back from Mount Kilimanjaro, please come on and explain what the hell you went through. Please. I would I would love to. Let's go. Oh, boom. Done. Okay, hell yeah. Easy. Can I be like a frequent guest? And everyone's like, stop having this yeah, woman on your show. Hell yeah. <laughs> like, Dude, and send bring in alter ego all every, every time. Every you time you have to be a different person. <laughs> yeah. I do have some wigs. <laughs> there we go. What are we waiting for, dude? I just got a notification on Citizen that someone robbed the wig store down the street from me. <laughs> like literally <laughs> two minutes ago. Well, <laughs> uh, that's my cue to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everybody, please go check out all K-Play stuff. Good luck on your on your mission, and uh, we'll Thank see you, you soon, all right? That is a mission. Okay. Thanks. Thank you guys so much. It was bye. so great to see you and meet you. Bye. Yeah, great to meet you. Thank you. Okay, bye, guys. Bye.